You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 392 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Gentlemen. Good afternoon. How you doing? Well, better now that your your laptop is working. Hey, day ain't over yet. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, we're coming up on episode 400. It's going to be close to Labor Day. Should we have like a barbecue? What should we do? Only if we can do it after Labor Day, because okay. I am trying, especially domestically, but travel during peak summer seems like a bad idea still. Yes, yes. Yeah, we got we to. Especially figure. for a holiday weekend. <laughs> yeah, I don't think <laughs> I want to travel on Labor Day either. Yeah, exactly. Um, so tell me, Seth, about the Max 10 certification that may never happen. Well, it depends on who you believe. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> we've talked about this on the show a bit in the past. Basically, Boeing admitted a few months ago that it would almost certainly not complete its certification by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, like, okay, so it's just another delay from Boeing. Who cares? But the answer is federal regulators, because there's a, a law was passed in 2020 uh, I think actually it's part of one of the COVID relief bills uh, that changed the way the FAA handles uh, certification of aircraft. Mm-hmm. And amongst the various provisions, all new aircraft on a like certified by the FAA have to include certain features like uh, flight deck warning systems, uh, more modern versions of them. And the 737 family, even in the Maxis, does not include that. And Boeing negotiated for, I assume Boeing, but someone negotiated or inserted into that original rule a two-year delay on that clause taking effect, assuming that by then the MAX 7 and the MAX 10 would be certified and everybody would go about their merry way and whatever Boeing makes next would obviously comply with this. And most of their newer planes do, I believe. It's just the 737s that don't. But turns out that the MAX isn't going to be certified at the 10. Uh, and in an interview with Aviation Week, uh, CEO David Calhoun said, well, if we don't get an extension on that, we're not going to, we might just scrap the whole Max 10 program. <laughs> um, well, we, we, it's not worth us making, it's not worth us re-engineering. And it's in his defense and in Boeing's defense, re-engineering that is a massive change to the avionics and the wiring and the programming for that aircraft. Yeah. Uh, it also, because the other 737s, including the other Maxin, don't require that it would mean or don't offer that it would require significant pilot training or maybe not significant, but it would require a differential training and additional complexity for air that airlines don't want. Um, and either that comes in the form of cost to Boeing a la the million dollar penalty from Southwest, you know, million dollars per plane if they have to train pilots or something else uh, who knows what other similar clauses are out there, but mm-hmm. there it, it would be an expensive proposition either way. And, you know, Boeing's got something like 700-ish of these things ordered on the books. Who knows exactly what the real numbers are? Uh, a lot of airlines. United has orders for 150 of them. Yeah. Alaska's got 50. I think uh, Lion Air is like 50-something. There's, there's a lot of these, and especially the U.S. airlines. Uh, a Delta Airlines is rumored to maybe be having 100. We talked about that last week. That's what yeah, I was going to say. I was gonna, Isn't Delta talking about these? I mean, so you think... Like, what if you're like- Delta, what do you announce? at Farnborough last week. Yeah, it's like, we're just going to keep our mouth shut at this point. I would would assume. But then Boeing also announced that they were bringing the MAX 10 to Farnborough to show it off. (laughs) Well, we're killing this. We just wanted you to see it one last time before we kill it. Right. And like, you like it? You can't have it. (laughs) Nobody can. Uh, Certainly, it seems like Boeing is negotiating with Congress and the press, right? That's an obvious angle here. But like, 
is Boeing trying to get Delta and United to negotiate on its behalf? I wouldn't be surprised. I, I would assume that they sh- they would want to. Airlines have proven themselves adept negotiators within Congress. Um, so it's it's a bit of a mess in many ways. But like those are the planes that for United a subfleet was going to replace the PS seven fifty sevens. Yeah. Uh, and I get, admittedly, like the PS seven fifty sevens are truly retired, but there's supposed to be some Max tens with flatbeds that were going to fly transcoms. So like, what do you do about that? A mm-hmm. um, lot, lot of interesting challenges. So, assuming Boeing cancels, what do they offer other than cash? Right? Do they offer a substitution of something else? I would assume Max Nines, which are like three rows shorter, four rows shorter. Right. That won't meet the pay, the requirement for some of the people, right? Like United clearly needs a larger plane than a Max Nine for PS. Right. And the next, I guess, the next plane in the line would be a seven eight eight. Correct. Boeing doesn't have anything in the middle. Right? We, we, right, this is the NMA mom, whatever you want to call it. There, there is no plane in that middle size. So, do they do a clean sheet design and then offer that? Uh, not for several years because the next one they do is going to be fully digitally something something blah blah blah, and they don't have the systems to support it yet. Boeing's in a bad spot, and the, but the other problem that's interesting about this is like, okay, fine, screw Boeing, let's just go to Airbus. Yeah, good luck with that. You can't, you can't find a slot. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no delivery slots available, and even if there were, like. Okay, fine. Airbus is going to own eighty percent of the single aisle market for a decade. Like that's not good for the industry. May, it's maybe almost sort of good for Airbus, but like longer term, it's bad for the industry. So, what do you do about that? Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is there's no good answers, but the whole thing is pretty messy. Does does Boeing have the ability to certify? Like, the, the, what's the reason for the, the non certification? Like, can they can they get that process sped up, or is that is it passed or done? It, it seems like, and such so a good question, and something I've been wondering. Like, I haven't heard a lot about test flights, for example. Mm-hmm. And so, could they have just been running test flights and gotten it done already? Obviously, for some reason, they can't. I don't know what the it is there, mm-hmm. like why they haven't gotten it. But it is behind. It has been behind schedule, and it seems like whatever tweaks it requires or changes are necessary. And I don't know if it's, yeah, I have no idea, but that, that is something that sticks out in my brain of like, why, why didn't they finish it? Like, yeah. what, what is wrong with it? They, they couldn't get there. And the, and the certification is through the FAA, right? Like this isn't Boeing's yes. internal certification. So I'm, I'm surprised like the FAA hasn't stepped in to say something at this point. Maybe they're waiting. Um, well, but the but FAA, especially in the past couple of years since the max grounding has always said, we will certify an aircraft when we're convinced it's safe. Mm-hmm. There's no schedule. Mm-hmm. And to be blunt, saying anything else would be criminal. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yay. No, no, it's, that's fine. I mean, I think, I think our listeners probably want to hear the same thing, right? Like, what is the cause? And no one really knows. Like, what is, is Boeing just kind of sitting around and hasn't gotten this thing certified? I mean, they're still flying the 77X around doing test flights on it. But those, yeah. of course, aren't necessarily all certification. They're also test flights for their own internal systems. So yeah. Anyway. And, and I don't know enough about the certification process for why it's being delayed like this or what, what's causing these delays and why it's not happening. But yeah. it is super weird that it's taking this long yeah. in my mind. Like what that means Boeing had, had Boeing clearly had a plan and didn't make it. And I don't know. And it wasn't supposed to be that different from the eight and the nine that are already certified. And then the seven, which is not yet, but is supposed to be pretty soon. Mm-hmm. But, like, you got airlines announcing deals of, like, we're going to take delivery of the 10 in 2023. And you're like, absolutely not. <laughs> not going to happen. It seems highly unlikely. Even if this gets extended, like, I'm not sure 
that they'll have enough. Like, how delayed is the certification? What's it going to take after they finish it to get it on the market? I don't know. It's yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. Um, in in positive news, the yeah. uh, the Hong Kong third runway is finished and has been used. Commercial aircraft landed. A yeah. 13-year-old Cathay Pacific 747 freighter was the first ex- commercial plane. I would expect nothing less. That's the yeah. perfect plane to put on that runway. <laughs> um, about, well, in some ways, it was like a 20-minute taxi to get to the South Apron <laughs> where the cargo is. Um, apparently, the uh, Cathay 747 was the last plane out of uh, Kai Tak and the first one into the new, the current airport also. So there is some uh, history and precedent there. But yeah, um, and it's actually apparently it was a polar flight from JFK was the first into the new airport. Like they somehow managed to time that of like having it take off and then I guess holding other planes in route. But uh, they got it so that it was one of the proving flights for polar operations proof yeah. and also proving the airport. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, uh, who knows how many if they'll ever need it? I mean, they don't barely have a airline anymore. Yeah. And it's far. I mean, the, air, the runway is, like you said, it's a it's a good taxiway from... I don't know how you say Polderbahn in, uh, <coughs> in Mandarin. In, but, and it's Cantonese, sorry. It's Cantonese, Cantonese, sorry. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how you say Polderbahn in Chinese, but yeah, it's basically like that. Or the, I mean, it's, what is it, the North Runway in O'Hare? It's like in Milwaukee? Yeah, so. yeah, essentially, yeah. I mean, it is, it's far. And then you have to cross the center runway to get to the terminals, so... Yeah. Um, obviously the capacity when, when you need that capacity, it's nice to have it. So, yep. Yep. It's good news. Is it it only available one way? I don't know. I mean, it does come in. Like if you were to line up on a final, it does come in over the the mountain. So maybe, but I'm Uh, just like, are the taxiways configured that it's got a full length taxiway next to it also? I didn't look closely enough, but that's, I I haven't, I haven't looked and Google maps doesn't have a recent image. Let me see if I can find one. Yeah. Um, that's just like, cause there are like the, and I feel like that one, the sort of northish, southish runway at Frankfurt's the same way, where uh, you can only use it one way, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's a noise regulation thing more than anything. Yeah. So, anyway, I, so I don't think it matters. Talk. I'm just <laughs> randomly using. It's it's just interesting to me, especially with like you know it's that and some other. I think there's something like an 18 billion, maybe it's Hong Kong dollars, but anything with that many zeros, it could be Vietnamese dong. It's still a lot of money. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> investment in the airport and like based on Cathay being a dominant connecting operation and massive hub. And Cathay is very much a fraction of what it once was now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did we talk about the Cathay uh, JFK Vancouver? Yes. Yeah, you, we did okay. last, last show. Yeah. We talked okay. about they've, it. They've updated it. So it's going to be connecting to a triple seven, not an A3, uh, not a seven forty seven. So, so how are they going to do that with, how are they going to do that with it's, 30 minutes? They're not. It's, it's stupid. I don't know what's going on there, but they, they did correct that the seven forty seven is freighter only. So, it's still filed for Hong Kong, uh, Vancouver on a three fifty, not a seven triple seven. So, mm. wow. Um, what is this about Acasa Air and the rest of India's aviation market? Acasa has not- been certified. Oh, so they actually can operate and are doing things. They or? They, uh, they received their AOC, their airline operating certificate, something like that. Um, I never, it's one of those acronyms I use all the time and don't know what it means. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it stands for. Uh, so they are an officially licensed airline by India. Uh, they've got their first max. Their second one is doing some testing at Boeing these days and expected for delivery in the days ahead. Um, yeah, it's yet another airline um, joining a very, very crowded market and one of those markets that, you know, seems that it's ripe for potential and growth, but all, it looks to me like the, the mass of 
financial losses that it has accrued over the years. I just that's one of those markets where it's a huge, low, huge, huge, low cost, low yield, low expectations in some ways, or high expectations actually. They, they, the passengers expecting food and drink on board and many other things. Like it's it's a bad place to try to make money. Mm. I mean, and especially since I mean, flights within India aren't super long, right? I got to like three hours. So, I guess further you go, like over to, uh, I guess the Middle East is longer, but three hours yeah. is not. I mean, and by our standards, it's not a, it's not a transcon, right? No, um, and I have to double check. Like, you know, there's maybe some slightly longer, but uh, yeah, it's. It is a very interesting market. It's one of those that there's certainly opportunity to expand with, given the demand. They are building new airports. There's a lot going on there. But mm-hmm. uh, where's the Casa based out of? Is it Delhi? Um, I don't know. I thought they maybe. Maybe. I was trying to remember because I thought they had they had set up shop kind of somewhere else, but I, I couldn't remember. I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah. Um, producer. Mumbai. Mumbai. Okay. That's another thing. Like I could see it working if it was set up uh, to be out of an, uh, maybe a tertiary airport, uh, not the one of the majors. But I guess if you're just starting out, you kind of have to. But in the U.S., you wouldn't. Yeah. Right. I mean, you look at a Breeze, you look at a, a Velo, you look at Connect, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, who's basing their airline in Canada? But whatever. Um, <clears throat> when you're starting up here, you wouldn't. And. Yeah. It seems like there they are. So that is an interesting situation, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me about Connect because they uh, they're they're starting some proving flights now. Yeah, they finally got their uh, certificate of convenience, which is one of these two steps in the uh, operation build getting an FAA certification. Um, there had been a lot of back and forth about the ownership structure uh, because there's some some of the people associated with it are not U.S. citizens mm-hmm. and there's rules about foreign ownership and getting to the point where they could establish that it was not a foreign-owned airline was complicated, hmm. to say the least. So, um, And they, there's a lot of public back and forth in DOT filings about what the ownership stakes are and who owns what and what the board looks like and who can vote for what. Um, they got all that sorted out apparently, so uh, the DOT finally agreed that they are in fact domestically owned and they can move forward. So and, they got to do some proof flights and then they are going to operate their Q400s uh, out of Billy Bishop in Toronto downtown to they had uh, Boston, Chicago and maybe connecting from Boston to like BWI or something like that. Um, uh, t- t- uh, Chicago, Philadelphia, I think are the starting ones. Okay. Know. Yeah. There's, and then there's, there's some interesting stuff about uh, where the um, onward connections were going to be. Mm hmm. Um, and sort of expanding the markets. They, they are um, definitely trying to go uh, for a kill, you know, you've been trying to kill off uh, Porter. You think, so, you think, you think on price they'll be able to do that? Well, I think that they're going to operate as an American Eagle or American, mm-hmm. Expo- uh, whatever, not Eagle, but one of their connecting feeds. Yep. So, yeah. Um, I'm I'm I don't know about this. Like, is there that much traffic between Toronto, especially Billy Bishop, which for most people isn't the most convenient place in Toronto? Well, if you're going downtown, it's incredibly convenient. If you're going downtown, I was going to say it would be 
convenient for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people live along the water, right? Pearson's a pain. Pearson sucks unless you live in the suburbs. Yeah, I'm just thinking of everybody lives in like Mississauga. You know, like it's not like. Yeah, but not everyone lives in Mississauga. <laughs> I know, I know. I, Toronto is an incredibly dense city. Yeah, yeah. but the, but when you think about it, when you live on the east side of town, you can't get to Bishop very quickly. Or, Bishop, sorry, to yeah. Pearson. Sorry. Right. Yeah. So anything on the east side and along the downtown or along the lake, Bishop is way more convenient. Yeah. Charlotte, so, Cincinnati, Raleigh, Hartford, Milwaukee, Nashville, Boston, and connecting from Boston onward to Philly and BWI. JFK is included. It's a they they want to basically go all the business markets that a Q four hundred can reasonably reach out of Toronto. So how far is let's see in Milwaukee? I want to see how far Milwaukee is. Pretty close. Four hundred miles. So it's about an hour and a half flight on a Q four. Probably block time hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. They're not that slow. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking. I'm trying to think like okay, so th- this yeah. makes sense. Like you're going to Cleveland. You're going to ask. Yeah, these are these are like commuter business day trip routes yeah or overnights this is that's their sweet and that's the same as what porter did i get it i mean the interesting thing to me about connect is not is less what they're doing now in terms of trying to get up and running and a little bit more about they've signed deal with one of the hydrogen companies to like convert 70 q300s or something like that other planes like they they're trying to get ahead of the curve on environmentally friendly flying on these props and that could be super interesting yeah, it's uh, ATRs is what they're gonna. The ATRs, okay. Yeah, yeah. But ATRs uh, aren't good in cold weather. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> That's a little concerning, right there. <laughs> it's like you realize this is an airline uh, in uh, Canada, right? So. But the other thing about the Canadian stuff, right? Air Canada charges a hefty premium and faces very little competition. This is true. Very true. Very true. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch them. Uh, try and, and get this thing going. I mean, do they have any uh, sense? I mean, with proving flights, Seth, what's the timeline? Should be quick. Should yeah. be quick. Um, delivery of 400 new ATR 72 E's at six aircraft per month, a hundred used Q 400s and conversion of 15 redacted as fast as launch conversions to market. Uh, their dat is dash eight. Three hundreds mm. are the hydrogen conversions. The ATR 72 E it's unclear if that's, the ATRs, hydrogen, are just a different version of the ATR or an electric. That's, mm-hmm. I think they, they use that terminology. And ATR hasn't announced what an ATR seventy two E is. Um, so, yeah, good times. <laughs> um, United has a maintenance facility now, or is going to have one in. Is this Rio? Rio. So they bought a hangar. I Big guess. one. Least well, whatever, yeah. What's what is the plan here to operate uh, a maintenance f- facility in South America? I assume so. That's what you do with a maintenance hangar, right? Um, I, the the main thing I can think of is, and I feel like American has done this over the years. Other airlines have done things like this down there. Even Continental did, I think, at one point. You got planes sitting on the ground for twelve hours. Mm-hmm. Why not do regular maintenance? And you know, you can do deep cleans, you can do sort of basic maintenance stuff like an A check, some of the quicker stuff I think can be done, you know, think of that as a run, think of that as an overnight. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be during daylight hours. So a lot of overnights are more like six or seven hours. You get twelve out of these. Like why not? What I didn't realize it was uh it was a former TAP MRO facility. Okay. Hmm. So TAP would have done the same thing. Yeah. So they, they, they turn the planes, I guess the risk the risk is you break something while it's being fixed. 
Yeah, sure. but if, if they're doing really like overall stuff. Oh, you're flying the plane down there, and yeah. oh, you dedicate yeah. one, and you use it as a. Yeah, I mean, what what's sort of interesting about it that's in that context is like they do the same thing in Hong Kong for, with yeah. Heiko, but there they used to, that's Heiko doing the work, not United. So here it'll be apparently actually United doing the work. So yeah. I don't know how that'll be set up in terms of staff and is United going to now hire a large population of Brazilian engineers to do their technicians to do the maintenance work? That'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. It's also it's all interesting. I mean, I would love to be a fly on the wall when they talk about some of this stuff from a corporate perspective, right? Like when they're deciding, Oh, you know, this would be a good idea. Uh, let's, uh, let's buy this hanger and, uh, have our I maintenance mean, facility in Rio. Cause it's uh, a little cheaper unless the person who, you know, suggested it just wants to take a vacation every so often. <laughs> uh, presumably they get non-rev benefits. So yeah, this is true. Getting in the company to buy a hanger might be a little more expensive. <laughs> um, breeze has been suffering with their A220s and uh, have now started putting E190s on their transcons. Yeah, this has been bad. Um, yeah. To say the least. Um, <clears throat> the the flights have been delayed, canceled. I can't tell if it's understaffed. I've heard rumors. I don't know if pilots. Um, they delayed a whole bunch of fun things. But... Um, Bad, bad news. Um, and so oh, everything I was looking at, the Las Vegas-Syracuse flight has been operating for a month now. It's been on time like once. <laughs> um, been canceled a lot. I was there when it was canceled. Yeah. Um, so the good news is the flights are operating a little bit more. The bad news is in some cases they're using E-190s with a tech stop somewhere along the way to pick up more fuel. That's, I mean, that's got to be rough for the passengers. Well, yeah. I mean... That's probably an hour extra en route. Yeah. Versus, you know, canceled. I mean, I, I guess on that point, though, do you think um, they're doing a good job of building their base, right? With this as their starting point? This feels like, like it's customer it's, base? Yeah. I mean, no. do you think they, they don't. They <laughs> don't, they don't yeah. I mean, I, I just wonder, like, are they pissing off enough of the people to be like, People are just like we're not going to fly again. We'd rather connect on an airline. They don't know that we that, that we know will get us there, or that we know is going to be miserable. At least it's what we were expecting. Yeah, um, no, it's bad, right? I mean, I some some of them are people I know, some of them are people I don't, and you just read stuff on the internet. But people are annoyed. People are frustrated. You know, multi day cancellations, consecutive days. Um, not not a good experience. Yeah. Um, someone got downgraded from the A220 to E90 and had bought the nicest seat, which is like their 2-2 business class with extra legroom on an A220 and ended up on an E190. And Mm -hmm. it's definitely not the same product. And what they got was like a $50 credit in uh, breeze points, (laughs) which on the one hand, like that's just the fair difference typically at this point. Yeah. From nicer to nicest, uh, it's usually about fifty bucks, and maybe for Transcon it's a little more. So who knows? But like, yeah, not good. I mean, it's better than a sharp stick in the eye. <laughs> it's, true. it's better than a stick in the eye. Yeah. Um, I was, but again, I was looking- you know, combine that with like this summer of couldn't get an alternate flight if you wanted to. Yeah, it's not at a reasonable not price, it. and it's not yeah. making anybody happy. I was just looking like the only thing they're operating Transcon right now is uh, San Francisco to Charleston. And they're like, only operating like today. Like actively? Yeah, in the air yeah. right now. Yeah, that's, they only have one or two a day anyways, usually. But 
scheduled. I think the most I got to was three when I was looking at the calendar before. And they, in their defense, they recognizing that this is a problem, like cold, a lot of new route startups and canceled them. Mm. Delayed them several months to get things sorted. Um, I also haven't seen a new delivery from Airbus in a little while, but I'm not sure if that's related. They don't, they do about one a month. So that comes when it comes, but yeah, I mean, there's only two, two twenties. Oh no, sorry. There's three, two twenties in the air right now. So that's also interesting to me. Yeah. The ones doing short hauls on the East coast. Uh, the other two are doing, yeah, two of them are doing short hauls and one's doing a transcom. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I, yeah. yeah, it's not I, late enough in the day that they should be doing the short hauls. So I'd have to yeah. check against the schedule of what was really supposed to be running, but yeah. Char- Akron to Charleston and uh, what's the other one here? Richmond to Tampa. So the Richmond to Tampa is, if I remember correctly, is supposed to be Tampa, Richmond, Vegas, Richmond, Tampa. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to do a round trip like that. And I, maybe Akron also. Um, that a lot of them were routed that way. So, and it's too early in the day for them to have finished the yeah. transcon turn. So I don't know. We'll have to check it out. Interesting. Um, let's talk about air tags or something similar for check bags. Is that a necessity nowadays? I mean, I think I've seen people recommend this before. Um, so a lot of people, uh, recommending this and I, I'm torn on it. One, from a, you know, we talked a little bit in the episode last week about how much information are you giving away in the tracking and the whatever, um, about your personal life, but beyond, and there's some controls over this stuff, but not always. Um, but beyond that, I've heard two examples lately. Uh, one, a friend of ours had a family traveling to, uh, Greece on Lufthansa landed. They said they lost his bag. They lost the bags on their honeymoon. Um, four days later, they went back to the airport and the airport people were like, no, we have no idea. And while they were talking to him, someone opened a door and went into a back room behind the like baggage desk office. And I was like, wait a minute, open that door again? Yeah, that's my bag right there. And like, no, no, it's not. He's like, yes, it is. Let me go get my bag. I'm like, no, it's definitely not your bag back there, sir. And he's like, no, really, that blue one right there is mine. And walked back and it's like, oh, and the red one over here is my wife's, thanks. And they'd been sitting there for three days. And no one had scanned them in. And oh so no one God. knew where the bags were. Wow. Um, and in a similar scenario, there's a story out of people using the air tags and knowing that their bags are in, uh, a specific area, uh, Dublin mm-hmm. and not being allowed to go pick them up. This is wild. Like, can the airlines do this? Can they just hold your bag indefinitely? I mean, well, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> well, legally, I mean, there's gotta be some legal precedent for this, right? It's well, essentially it, theft. In essence, becomes a he said, she said, right? Who do you believe? Yeah, I mean, maybe this is uh, this is one of those things where you need a an air tag. <laughs> That's okay. crazy. Yeah, I mean, so like, I guess a lot of this comes down to like, cool. Now I know where my bag is. What does that do for me? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> some, I mean, it's also, I guess, like the U.S. airlines have gotten better about giving that information in real time, right? Like okay, we scanned it in, we scanned it out, it's on this plane, it's not, whatever. Um, you're sort of in good shape there for uh, international operations, much less of that. So, I don't know. Wow. Wow. Um, SAS is bankrupt, or maybe bankrupt. SAS has debts that exceed its current balance sheet and wants to reject a whole bunch of leases, and its pilots are on strike, so. Hmm. All right, for Chapter 11 protection. They filed in the U.S. Wow. Um, it, <clears throat> I mean, there are some operational challenges. They, they needed money. They got it early in COVID from the 
the governments there, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, um, two of the three didn't want to put more money in was part of the problem. And the pilots are like, yeah, we're working full time again. We'd like to get paid for full time work. Thanks. And <laughs> so wait, they filed in the U S yep. Huh? I wonder why. And it was a, it was a chapter 11 in the U S which like Virgin Atlantic, when it filed, uh, earlier in COVID, I don't know if it was chapter 13 or chapter 14. It was a different one. Um, that was basically, we're undergoing bankruptcy reorganization in our home country, but we have some assets in the United States that we would like to be treated properly. Hmm. And there's a chapter of the bankruptcy code that allows for that. And it's not chapter 11 hmm. or chapter seven, which is dissolution. Um, and so I'm not sure why SAS didn't use that one, but apparently their uh, Scandinavian operations aren't or the Scandinavian company isn't filing for the similar protection locally. And I don't know, maybe it can't, but yeah, it's, that's an interesting angle that I haven't quite sorted out. Yeah, that is. So, I mean, if they go bank, I mean, should people expect, should they be worried about their SAS flights or things? Are they still fulfilling their obligations as an air carrier? <clears throat> well, I think the pilot strike is the bigger issue right now. Mm-hmm. Lots of cancellations, like 50% of the schedule. Wow. Um, so that's the if you're if you're wondering should I be worried about an SAS ticket um, the answer is yes um, but it's for, it's mostly because of the strike uh, more than the bankruptcy gotcha. um, but yeah I, that's an interesting challenge uh, yeah. like many things this summer like as if it couldn't get worse oh wait by the way we're bankrupt uh, <laughs> anyway um, last story I just I found this a little bit ago um, Air France is now saying that they will no longer carry research primates uh, as soon as their contractual obligations are met so I didn't know this but Air France is a huge carrier of uh, uh, primates for testing and research uh, from the island of Mauritius um, and they're no longer going to be doing that and so PETA is happy um, but it's adding to a uh, kind of a shortage of, of primates for testing that was ex- exacerbated by COVID already. So interesting stuff. World is changing. Yeah. Um, what is this about Eva? Eva? EVA adding Munich and Milan. That's new. Yeah. Uh, Munich, Milan starts October 25th. Munich starts November 3rd. Wow. Tomorrow is Europe house, which kind of crazy because Taipei st- or Taiwan still closed. That's what I was going to say. I, I thought Taiwan was still closed. Otherwise I'd be on a plane with Foz tomorrow. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that's fascinating. I wonder if, uh, well, well, you can come to Taipei when you're not in London. How about that? Okay. Well, it should be easy because <laughs> it's going to be a hundred something degrees there next week. And so, oh, so it'll feel like you're in Taipei. Yeah. That's uh, a, <laughs> without should, the air conditioning. Should, what I was going to say. Yeah. Should I go to a country that's going to be in the midst of a heat wave for an outdoor air show on the, you know, on the tarmac where my main motivation is spite against some of the companies exhibiting. <laughs> This is a legitimate – oh, and by the way, we're on the day I'm scheduled to leave. Uh, the people who fuel the airplanes are expected to be on strike. Yeah, I'd stay hope. This is a legitimate question I've been asking myself the last week. <laughs> I, I mean, I is, probably wouldn't go. <laughs> is, it, is it bad that I've had the conversation with myself like, well, I'm actually connecting in Dublin on the way home. So at least the plane is a, it's a short enough hop that they could just tanker the fuel in. They so could. They feel like, it, who's happy to be connecting in Dublin these days? <laughs> which is also its own disaster of an operation from a passenger experience perspective of like lines and chaos and security, whatever. But like, no, it'll be fine. I don't have to worry about anything. Cause like about the fuel situation. Cause at least the, you know, the three twenty one I'm on will be, you know, it can just fill it up extra in Dublin and that won't be a problem. 
that's the level I wish I'm going to to like process this shit. <laughs> you're trying. You're trying to justify it. Barely, but yes. <laughs> I was actually going to tell you that if you were going to be in Farnborough and you were going to come back through London, I would meet you there. But uh, I looked, and there are zero rewards to London. Yeah. So oh, out of Newark, there's tons of space. Yeah, but I have to get to Newark. <laughs> I, and I didn't even see any of the Newark space. I was, uh, I was looking for maybe the dates aren't exactly, but I was looking for two, three weeks out, and I was seeing a ton of award yeah. space. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I was looking for, I was actually looking to change my return date and come home earlier, but I don't know. We'll see. BA does have a thousand dollar Gatwick or eight hundred dollar Gatwick JFK premium economy fare. Round trip or one way? Round trip. That's pretty good. But you got to start start in Gatwick. Seth is intrigued. I'm gonna be in. I'm gonna be in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> He's like this. This is interesting. Um, I think that wraps up the show for our Patreon subscribers. Stay tuned for a little bit of uh, our favorite topic, NFTs. And uh, just want to thank some new patrons, uh, Chris H and David K. Thanks for supporting the show. And uh, to our other listeners, thanks for listening and tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. Happy travels. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>